Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. Lord, we thank you once again uh, for the grace and the mercy that you provide. And I pray, God, that as we look at your word and see what it means to, to live in this messy grace, I pray, God, uh, that your spirit would guide and lead us to see uh, you more clearly and to see what that means of how we live in this world. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ is risen. He is risen So today we are finishing our series called Messy Grace. And last week we kind of left with this question of like, all right, cool. How do I live in this messy grace? And today I want to just be very upfront of where we are going and what this looks like and how we live in this messy grace. We're going to talk about three ways or three perspectives that we need to embrace and take in here. And I want to bring a a fuller picture to what we mean by these words. So I'm going to give them to you right now. You can put them on your message notes. There are these three. Um, We're going to talk about identity, repentance, and community. Say it with me. Number one. Number two. Number three. And to do that, I want to begin first uh, with what we are talking about when we mean identity, Uh, and I want to use a movie reference. Uh, Let's see if anybody, does anybody know what movie this is from by chance? Kristen, you you had your hand raised right away. What is it? This is not normal for us here at church to be called on during the message. Uh, I'll help you out. Jerry Maguire. Anybody seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Mid-90s, if you've seen this movie before. The, the, the movie of Jerry uh, Maguire goes like this. Uh, played by Tom Cruise, the beautiful guy that's like this. Uh, he is married to Renee Zellweger, and he's a sports agent. And at this point in time in the movie, him and Renee are on, rocky, on a rocky road. The relationship is not going so well. But his work life is going great. In fact, one of his clients, uh, played by Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, just has the game of his life on Monday Night Football. And so everything is supposed to be perfect and good. This is what he's been hoping for. And, and as all the reporters are surrounding his client, he, the, the, the cameras point to him and he just looks depressed. He's as if like, like this is great, but this isn't what's fulfilling me. And so the movie gets all dramatic, and he starts running, which is just normal for a Tom Cruise movie. And, and so he gets home, and when he walks into his home, there's a divorce care group that is meeting in his home. You remember this scene? If you've seen this movie before. And all of a sudden, he drops his bags, and he just dramatically says, where's my wife? And she's standing across the room, and everybody's in on this conversation. And he finishes with these words. Does anybody know them? You complete me. You know this movie? 
Anybody crying right now? Because Renee Zellweger goes, you had me at hello. You had me at hello. And just like that, that's exactly how she sounds, right? But, but like we, we as a culture, like we love this stuff, right? If you haven't seen this movie, you should see this, this scene. I mean, inside of our culture in Hollywood, we amplify this. This is what it means. This is what real love is, is this completion for us as human beings. This is why we exist. And while that might sell in Hollywood, I want to be very honest here, that is not what the Bible says. And it's not what Jesus would point to either. Look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, verse 10. Paul says these words, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. This verse will forever jump off the page for me because a number of years ago, I was uh, uh, pastoring a funeral for, uh, for a family. And one of the, uh, the typical things that I'll do is uh, when we meet with the family, I'll ask the question, are there any like, favorite Bible passages that, that your loved one would want to be used for the funeral message? And we were living in the South at the time, and this guy uh, said this. He leaned back in his chair and he goes, yeah, there's that verse in the Bible that says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I was like, uh, in my head, I said, no, dude, Popeye said that, not the Bible. And then I went home and Googled it, thankfully, and it's in the Bible. Right here, 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What, what Paul is saying here is that your identity as a follower of Jesus by the grace of God is given to you by him. That this is good news. And I love this next little statement here that he says. And that that grace was given to me not in vain. What what Paul is saying here is that word vain means that it's not empty handed. It is is with result. It has effect in my life. So the grace of God isn't just something that is given to me that I just know, but it has an effect in my life. It shapes me. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek after these things and these things will be added to you. Now, I must admit that when I hear this passage and when I hear, uh, like, the church talk about identity, I oftentimes go into this mode of, okay, well, how does that look? And generally, it works like this for me. I think of, like, for identity to be in right order, it has to be a list. Meaning that when somebody says that Jesus is your identity, that means that Jesus is number one in your life, right? Right? And then number two for me is my wife. And then my kids are number three, and they shouldn't be the other way around. And then, and then my job is number four, and, and my hobbies are number five. But the question becomes when we see lists like this and we talk about our identity is we're like, how do I know if I'm like actually doing this right? What do you mean to have Jesus as number one in my life? Does, does that mean that like I, like, give him the amount of time, the most amount of time 
Meaning that I should just read my Bible and go to church all the time? Is that what it means to be, have Jesus as number one in my life? Or my identity? Or is it not just the amount of time? Maybe it's the quality of time that I give him my best effort so I get highly caffeinated before I go to church and I'm ready to go. Is that what it means? See, when we talk about identity, I think a lot of times we love to put this on our Instagram or say this is who we are, but we struggle in putting this into practice, which is why I don't think this is what we mean when we talk about identity. It's not a list of one through five. It's more beautiful, but more challenging than this. See, instead, what the scriptures will talk about is that to have Jesus as your identity, by the grace of God, what it really means is what is the core, what is the middle of who you are. And what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 15, what Jesus is saying to his followers is that I desire to be that middle. I desire to be the thing that influences everything else in your life. Now imagine if we were to put something else in the middle. Imagine if you were to put your spouse. Imagine if you were to put a relationship. Imagine if you were to put your kids in that spot. Imagine if you were to put your hobbies into your spot, into that middle spot. Do you see why this makes sense? Is anybody with me? What he's saying here is that that what is the core of who you are when we talk about identity? What is in the middle? And that will influence everything else in your life. And so Jesus desires to be influencing the way that you raise your kids. He desires to be influencing your job, your hobbies, your spouse, everything of who you are. Because what he's saying is that Jesus is the core of who we are. And that's what's wrong with what Tom Cruise is saying and Jerry Maguire. He's saying that you complete me giving that weight or putting that burden on somebody else and they cannot bear that weight. No sexual relationship will be able to bear the weight of the core of your identity. It can't. And and this is why the first thing that we need to get is that our identity is that Jesus is the core. And what's so challenging inside of our culture today is that it's easy to believe that sexual love is the peak of human identity. It's every great movie in Hollywood, and then it's followed by parental love. But Jesus actually torpedoes this whole idea. He says it even in his word. I've never thought of this verse this way, but he says it like this. John 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. What Jesus is saying is that there is no greater love that, that you can experience in this world besides what I have done for you. He's not talking about people that sacrifice their life for their military or for, the, or for a job or anything like that. This verse is about him. This verse is about Jesus and what he has done for you and me and what we believe. The reason that we're here The reason that he is the core, the center of our being is because he died and rose again from the dead. Because he is the one who came into this world, lived a perfect life, died for you and me, and rose again from the dead. 
And what he's saying is that this is better than any gorgeous wedding that you'll experience. It's better than the birth of a child. And I know that's hard for us to believe because everything else around us says that, well, yeah, that's kind of good, but it's not as good as this. And Jesus is saying, no, I am giving you the best thing that you desire and want in this world because I've conquered sin, death, and the devil, and only Jesus can conquer those things. Amen? And so, with that being said, John says these words in 1 John chapter 3. He says, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. This love isn't just some intellectual truth. It, it does something, and what it does is it brings us into the family of God. This act of what God has done on our behalf. See, identity is who you are. It cannot be taken from you. You can forfeit it, but it cannot be taken from you. And God gives you an identity as a child of God. It is a noun, but it does not stop there. It is also a verb that leads to action, that always is always centered around Christ in the middle, which leads to the second part here. The second thing that we're talking about is repentance, that we need to turn back to Jesus over and over again. Repentance, turning back to Jesus over and over again. Jesus would say these words in Matthew 3, 8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, At the core of what it means to listen to Jesus and his words is that we take his word seriously. And we continue to look back to what he has to say on everything. And so I was kind of thinking about this this last week. What does that that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think it kind of looks like this. My parents, Brian and Amy, when I was born, I was the first child, right? And the day that I was born on October 26, 1984, uh, I, I was a part of the family. But I've been spending my whole life learning what it means to be a part of the McGinley family. Anybody know what I'm saying here? That, that, that being born, it, it, it is that identity. It, it, is, it is what is given. And what we believe in the church is, here at this church is, is that when you are baptized, you are a part of God's family. You didn't do it on your own wasn't because you were great or how horrible you, you were. You were given an identity by the water and the word, and that's what Jesus gives us by his death and resurrection. But you're also learning what that means as you continue to walk every single day. We're all in that journey. We're given an identity, but we're continuing to learn what that means as we are living it out. And, and and that's why, as we see here, Jesus uh, would continue to teach about repentance. And it's why in Luther's small catechism, in, the, in his explanation of the sixth commandment, which is you shall not commit adultery, uh, Luther does this thing where he ties not only what you uh, believe, but into what you do. He says this, uh, we should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do. 
What, what he's saying here is that as we continue to follow Jesus, as we continue to learn what it means to live in that identity, our natural reaction will be to run away from that, to run against what God wants for us. Because we are broken people, because we can't believe or imagine that God would love us so much, even when we mess up. And so what we need to do is we need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to keep coming back to Jesus, which leads to the third thing here for us today, that we need community. And we need community. It's full of grace and truth. You know, as we've been talking about, sexuality is complex. It is. Yet real relationship and community will challenge us when we need it. That's what real relationship does. It doesn't just pretend that everything's great. But it'll challenge us when, when we need it, and it will offer grace when we need it. And in fact, uh, this isn't just like something that I'm like brilliantly coming up with. <laughs> this is found throughout Scripture in fact, if you look at the, the, the letter that John wrote in 1 John, we read these last words in 1 John chapter 5. These are literally the last words that he wrote. The guy who was talking about that you're a part of, of this family, that you were born into this family. John would go on to say this. I love this. He says, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. He's saying, be careful with anything that wants to fight for the core of who you are. Because there will be things that are trying to take the center, the peace of who we are. So as a community, as we say every single week, the desire is to look, live, and love more like Jesus. There will be times when we need to be challenged according to God's word. When it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to how we treat other people, when we rebel against the way that God has designed and intended marriage, when, when and with whom we have sexual relationship. We need to be a community that will hold on to that of grace and truth. Which is why I want to offer one final thought here as we conclude this whole message series something that's been a, a mindset shift for me that I hope will shape so much of what our community can be here at Trinity. It's this. Um, and it's not an original thought. It comes from a book uh, called After Doubt by a man named A.J. Zaboda. But he says this, that um, oftentimes uh, as, as preachers and um, as teachers of God's word, we will take metaphors and we'll say like, hey, this is kind of like what this is, right? And we use metaphor because we want to better understand and share that good news with other people. And so maybe you've heard this before, and I know I've certainly said it before, um, but a lot of times we've said in the church that the church is like a hospital. Anybody heard this before? The church is a place for the sick. It's for those who need care and those who need help. That this is, if the church is functioning well, this is how it should look. 
And this is true, but I think we need to be careful with this metaphor because I think as we've used this metaphor more and more, it has given an unintended consequence to our communities and to the world. See, while the the church certainly is a place for the sick, it suggests this metaphor that the church is an institution employing a class of elite professionals who are different from the sick. Right? That there are those who are sick and need it, and then there are those who get paid inside of the building. Or it also implies that it's a place where we no longer have to go when we're not sick anymore. That those who appear healthy don't don't need it. And that a sign of health is that I move on from that place. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That this is what it means to be the church. Is that yes, the broken can sit next to those who appear to not be so broken. That the church can be a place with those who have all kinds of struggles and issues and problems and those that are very obvious in some ways, but also for others it is very hidden. And that if we could just be a community of people that could be honest and love and share and share truth to one another as well. This is what we're advocating for in this whole series, that we would be reminded of our identity that is only found in Jesus as the core, that we would be reminded and repent of the times that we go against what Jesus and his word has said for us, and when we as a community share grace and truth with one another. So you might be saying, okay, cool. Thanks for ruining a metaphor that I've used before. What do you got to offer? I would offer this. Has anybody uh, ever seen, it's a movie, a book, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, the Lion, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Anybody seen this before? Uh, it, it's a beautiful tale, beautiful story of uh, a, a group of kids who discover this, this closet. <laughs> And it looks like a very ordinary closet, but, but when you open up that closet, it is a world that is filled with mystery. In fact, it's a world uh, that is making things right. And, and I, I would offer this metaphor. One, as, as a community of people that from the outside looks very ordinary, Yes, looks different. I mean, beautiful building, all of this sorts of stuff. But, but let's be honest, the church is a community of people. And, and, and when we are a part of this community, the way that we look, the way that we live, the way that we love is different. It points to a God who loves us so, so well. And, and so, as we've been using through this series, this is a beautiful quote. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. See, not only is it better than any romantic relationship that we will ever have, 
It will be the thing that completes us. Amen.